The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Thursday, November 24th. Hey all, Stacey Marie here. Because of the Thanksgiving holiday in the US, we are re-presenting one of our previous recordings for the holiday. If you're celebrating, hope you have a good day. Thanks for listening. Earlier this year, the pop music duo known as the Chainsmokers released 5,000 non-fungible tokens to fans for free. These NFTs gave fans a 1% cut of the streaming royalties from their latest album, as well as priority access to concert tickets and free merchandise. The Chainsmokers might not be the first musicians to experiment with crypto, NFTs, or the blockchain, and it's unlikely they'll be the last. What are artists and musicians like the Chainsmokers hoping to achieve with these moves? And how are fans responding? In this episode, you'll hear from Bloomberg reporter Hannah Miller and from Justin Blaum, the CEO of Royal, a decentralized music startup. What if the public could actually own rights in their favorite artist's music? My DJ name is Blau, which is also my last name. Justin Blau, a.k.a. Three Lau, a.k.a. the CEO of Royal. Royal's a startup that's trying to give fans more access and more investment opportunities in the bands they love. His company partnered with the Chainsmokers to give their fans a stake in their success, they say, by creating and offering up NFTs that allow that share of streaming ownership. Justin joins me now. Justin, thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me a little bit more about the history of Royal? Yeah, absolutely. So I was really interested in the intersection of crypto and music about for the past eight years now. And I've been experimenting with lots of different things. Did some of my first early NFT experiments in 2017, 2018. And Royal is kind of just the amalgam of different manifestations that I've that I've thought about over the past, call it eight years, um, in ways to disintermediate music and give artists more power give fans financial upside in an artist's success. Now, when you say disintermediate music, what exactly do you mean? I think a lot of people are stuck in the illusion that music doesn't make money. You've seen that (laughs) in the media narrative quite often, um, when in reality, music generates quite a bit of money, especially on streaming, which makes up about 85% of all recorded music income. It's just the people who are capturing that income are, are institutions and the institutions that have owned rights over years and years and years and years of time, decades of time. So what we think about at Royal is what what if the world was a bit different? What if the public could actually own rights in their favorite artist music so that you have a combination of labels, artists, and fans co-owning songs that they love? 
So when I hear you say the folks who have been benefiting are like the big institutions. Spotify's share prices tanked over the last year. They're facing stiff competition from Apple Music as the world's most valuable company pivots more aggressively toward kind of the ecosystem of services. But look, for Spotify, their most important asset is artists. Mm. So if we see more complaints coming forward, that could be a major problem for the streaming service. But what about the musicians themselves? Like, how does Royal help the musicians or does Royal help the musicians in that kind of framework? Absolutely. I, I think the most important way Royal helps musicians, and this is kind of, you know, leading a little bit into my background as a musician, is that with blockchains and immutable transparent data, any artist can actually see who owns their tokens and, and interact with those particular people. In the regular world, with Spotify and with you know, ticket, you know, Ticketmaster, all these different services, artists don't actually participate in any of the data collection that they help generate. Mm -hmm. So for music specifically, I might have done over a billion streams. I have no idea who my top listeners are. For ticketing, you know, I might have sold over millions of tickets in my career. And I have no idea who those people are. I don't have the data. So what's really interesting about blockchains is for, for tokens, artists can actually identify their audiences and communicate with them in, in a way more efficient way. I want to pick up on something you said there about transparency. I don't know of anyone who would ever describe the music industry as like a paragon of transparency <laughs> <laughs> or kind Probably of, not. you know, clarity about how things work. What has been the reception of this fairly radical idea, um, you know, in, with folks that you've been working with and talking to? You know, we're, we're lucky that it's been so insanely positive, both, but both on the kind of artist side and the existing the existing industry player side. I think everybody's really excited about this technology and they're curious how it might benefit their their incentives and their ends. Um, realistically, right, having a more transparent, immutable data structure for music is probably good for all parties, right? And so the world is just kind of beginning to explore how it might apply to their specific niche of, of music. And, you know, while Royal does focus specifically on artists, we, we believe in, in a future world where people could co-own all types of IP. Now, in this potential future world where, you know, there's multiple different models, different people could be owners, people could be producers in, you know, that more traditional, but of course also forward-looking sense of the term, this perhaps assumes that NFTs as an element of crypto, like, have legs, right? That people are going to continue to be interested in this. We are talking right now in a period when, you know, NFTs have had a bit of a challenging run, much like pretty much every other asset class in crypto. Once red hot, NFTs are now cooling off a bit. The secondary market for the majority of people's paintings today is down 90, 95% from the peak, as is most NFT art. What is it about the model that you're proposing that works despite other pressures in the market? Or does this work despite other pressures yeah, in the market? that's a great, that's an, absolutely, that's a, that's a wonderful question. I think at, at Royal, we've, we've never really considered ourselves an NFT platform. We mm -hmm. consider ourselves a platform that enables anyone to invest in music. And we just so happen to use crypto rails to make that possible. Mm -hmm. We just so happen to use the technology behind non-fungible tokens to make that possible because it actually becomes more efficient. Um, for payouts, for transparency, for all the other kind of reasons that we've we've briefly touched on in, in, in the past, I think that you know the concept. It, no matter what you apply crypto to, it has to solve a real world problem, right? Um, a lot of people kind of leverage the technology 
and talk about it in the sense of, you know, whether it's investable or not. Mm -hmm. um, even even a board ape, right, which is arguably one of the most well-known type of NFTs, um, the image itself is not the NFT, right? So there's this giant misconception. What is the NFT? Well, the NFT is a certificate of authenticity. And why are certificates of authenticity valuable? Um, for tons of reasons, right? <laughs> so the underlying technology isn't going anywhere. I think that we, we've all established that. I think that some of the brands and the most recognizable projects will ebb and flow with the times. Um, but the most powerful aspect of it is, again, the ability to you know, authenticate ownership of digital types of assets. And that's something that we really haven't seen in the past that we're going to see a lot of development in, in the future. What, you know, when you talk about authenticity, verification, validation, we've had episodes where we interviewed Nicolas Julia, who's the CEO of So Rare, which, you know, provides like this kind of service, but for fans of fantasy sports um, and sports based on real teams. We have talked about, you know, situations in which NFTs give people access to real world experiences. And that's also something that in the Chainsmokers concept, um, you all provided, right, where it's like the owners of these tokens, and there were 5,000 of them, didn't only get access to streaming revenue, they got tangible other non-financial benefits. Can you talk a little bit more about those? Yeah, I think the beauty of tokens is once they exist on a blockchain, the issuer, whether that's an artist or a team, can kind of provide whatever benefits they want to. Mm -hmm. um, the beauty of crypto is that it's composable. It's, you know, the architecture of it enables anyone to build on top of it. So you could even be another artist and still engage the Chainsmokers fans by looking at all the wallet addresses that have interacted with the actual Chainsmoker token set, right? So there's, it's all transparent. You can see everyone who owns it. Um, the anon anonymity of each owner is up to the owner, right? Like they can choose to, you know, identify themselves on the internet or they can choose to remain anonymous. But the beauty of, of tokens in general is that once they exist, they, they're not going anywhere and anyone can interact with them. So the idea of you know, creating real-world utility, whether that's tickets or other types of social engagement, extras, exclusive content, you know, we're really just seeing the beginning of that development as well. Um, you know, fan clubs in the past haven't always been the most successful model for achieving you know, additional value for an artist or for a team or for a musician. And when you begin to wrap your head around, when, when the public begins to wrap its head around this concept of co-ownership, the incentives are aligned in, in such a stronger way. At the beginning, you said, you know, that there's this really popular misconception that there's no money in music. What's another misconception that you're trying to address with Royal? Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I think another misconception is maybe more along the lines of like what the technology is capable of. Mm -hmm. um, at Royal, we're, we're, we try to be realistic in that you know, the tech is still developing and there are a lot of challenges as we go. Um, so we we really attempt to make it as easy as possible for a user to get engaged. Um, people have the misconception that crypto is really hard and difficult and, you know, it's easy to get hacked, things could be a scam, etc. You know, we, we've heard that over and over again in the media. And at Royal, what we do is, is quite simple. We, we keep it very familiar. So you can log in with an email and password and you can pay with a credit card. And we do that in order to show people how easy it is to get engaged in the crypto ecosystem without even knowing that it's crypto. So I would say those are the two big conceptions that we challenge. Last question, what's your DJ name? My DJ name is Blau, which is also my last name. There's a three in, in my DJ name. I was in college and- uh, That and was, we all did that. It was SEO. Yeah, it was, it was the whole thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Next up, Bloomberg reporter Hannah Miller 
joins me for a look at how NFTs are reshaping the relationship between artists and their fans. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. So what exactly are artists like the Chainsmokers and platforms like Royal hoping to achieve by giving fans a piece of ownership in the band's success? And how are fans responding? Joining me now for more on this is Bloomberg reporter Hannah Miller. Hannah, you are back. Welcome. Always great to have you on the pod. Hi, thanks for having me. Today we're going to talk about NFTs, which, you know, I feel like we talk about NFTs a lot. And specifically, what I want to hear from you is about the story that you wrote about the Chainsmokers. Now, I confess I had not exactly listened to any of their music before I read your story. So I had to go and study up before we recorded this episode. But now that I have, and clearly you have, what is it that the Chainsmokers have been up to in the blockchain space? Yeah, well, they released a new album uh, called So Far So Good. And basically, this album was connected to an NFT, where if you owned this NFT, held this NFT, you would get a very small sliver of the audio streaming royalties from the album, which was pretty cool. And it, it was not really that surprising that it was the chain smokers doing this because they are totally into crypto. They're totally into Web3. They actually have a venture fund called Mantis that has made some pretty big investments in the space, you know, some really notable names like MoonPay, Magic Eden. Um, so it kind of just fits overall that they would do something like this with their new album. Fascinating. I mean, I'm very interested in the ways in which crypto and venture capital and music and musicians and DJs, even if those musicians are cover bands, are merging into what sounds like one conversation. In the reporting of that story and others that you've done, what do you think are some of the trends that are causing all of these factors to converge? Yeah, I think people are constantly looking for sort of mainstream use cases for crypto. And when it comes to NFTs, like it's pretty easy to see, you know, fun things that you can use them for, whether it's art, collectibles, gaming, things like that. And they really do fall into the category of music. So we've seen multiple projects try to define what a music NFT is. Like there's some decentralized music streaming platforms. There's platforms like Royal, which is the one that helped make the NFT tied to royalties that the Chainsmokers released. Um, you know, there are all these different projects that are kind of trying to figure out how can we best use crypto, blockchain, NFTs with music. And is all of this coming from the musicians? Is it coming from venture capital? Is it coming from those platforms you mentioned? Like, what's the direction of all this innovation? Yeah, it's a total mix. Um, we've seen some pretty big names get really excited um, about you know music NFTs, music and blockchain. I'm thinking here like Snoop Dogg, Steve Aoki. Um, these are people who have you know, created their own platforms or have argued for the importance of music NFTs. And then you have venture capitalists jumping on board as well, who are willing to pour a lot of money into these projects. They're willing to 
you know, really back something that we're kind of still figuring out what exactly the best use for blockchain is in music. So a couple of last things before you go. When we think about blockchain, when we think about crypto, when we think about NFTs, something we've also discussed is this this tension between centralization and decentralization, right? Where on the one hand, you've got these theories that are about we're not going to have centralized control manifest in in this space. But actually, what you see instead is specific companies, specific platforms, specific venture capitalists that are very centralized and do have a lot of power. Are you seeing anything, especially in music and music NFTs, that is looking more like something decentralized? Or are we still really dealing with concentration here? Yeah, well, part of why artists are seizing upon blockchain in the music space is because they want to take back control of their art, their music, away from the music industry itself. The music industry takes a huge cut of artists' streaming revenue, So something like a decentralized music platform would, in theory, allow an artist to have a more direct relationship with their fans. So that's like a lot of the push here, that they're sort of decentralizing in the sense that they're moving away from the control of huge music companies and it's more direct between artist and, you know, fan. Okay, I'm a fan, or if I were a fan, and I like the Chainsmokers, the Chainsmokers has a decentralized platform, Maybe I'm also a fan of the Winklevi cover band. They have a decentralized platform. I want to listen to Snoop. He's on a different decentralized platform. How is that not annoying for me as a fan having to like do all of these work to listen to them? Yeah, because we're still trying to figure out which is going to be the biggest decentralized music streaming platform. Uh, there are some names out there, like Audius is one I think is pretty interesting. But yeah, it's going to be quite the battle to get people to consolidate on one platform and also to actually get artists on board with blockchain. While you have people like Snoop Dogg and Steve Aoki really cheering this on, crypto and blockchain NFTs, they're still scary concepts to a lot of people. Crypto is still a very complex thing that a music artist might not even want to get into. So it's going to be, I think, an uphill battle to try and get people to come over and really embrace this technology. Thank you, Hannah. You can find more of Hannah's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, on Bloomberg.com, and on Twitter. She's at HGMiller29. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, you'll hear from two of our crypto editors for our Editors' Roundtable. Tomorrow, I'll be joined by Anna Herrera in London and Philip Lagerkranzer in Zurich. We'll talk through this week's highs, lows, the biggest stories of the week, and answer any questions folks have sent in. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, and this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Email your questions, comments, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. And you'll find us on Twitter at Crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergalina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producer is Mohammed Farouk. Our producer is Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Zanab Siddiqui, Ty Butler, and Moses Andam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Special thanks to Justin Blau for his track, Worst Case.
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.